Until that day comes, I will speak to all injustice, that the moment of its ending is sure to come, oh, the day will surely come, oh, the day will surely The love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. We dwell in him and he in us. Give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him, sing praises to him, and speak of all his marvelous works. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship along with us. We bring our praise to you, bring revival 
may be seated. Once again, I'm Pastor JB, and uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I would love the opportunity to meet you. And we're going to enter a time of prayer uh, just in a few moments, but before we do, just a few announcements. Uh, at this time, though, 
kids uh, through preschool. Uh, you can be dismissed to children's worship. Follow Janice there through the door. Parents, feel free to walk your kids. Um, we tried something new um, because we all love change so much. Uh, we sat on the west side of the great room, and I, I'm freaking out a little bit. I'm like, wait, you know, where am I? You know. Anyway, uh, so but just a couple of announcements uh, today. Um, oh, also, if, if you have older kids, make sure you grab one of those activity books. I don't think there's any uh, instructions for drawing a picture of the pastor, but I just want to report that I did receive uh, someone's drawing of the pastor. One was like a really nice, clean-cut one. The other one, I had a ponytail. It was awesome. Uh, so if you do draw a picture of the pastor, I would love to see that picture uh, for sure. It's a highlight. Uh, otherwise, um, fellowship, we're doing some, some food. We're, we're introducing some food after the service. That'll, you'll notice there's a table set up in those four parking spots. And so, yeah, yeah, we can clap for some food and some fellowship. And so uh, head out there, and, and there's going to be some granola bars and some water. We're hoping to, to grow that as the summer continues. Uh, also, this coming Wednesday, community night in the parking lot. We're doing some s'mores, 6.15 to 7.15. We're going to try to make it from Grand Rapids. We're moving in like two weeks. We're so looking forward to being in Holland full-time. Um, but we'd love to meet you in the parking lot on community night. Some other more serious updates over at Watershed. Um, they've been in a search process for a really long time. And if you've been following emails and communications, Aaron Vanderveen, who's been serving as the interim, received a call and accepted that call this week, which is awesome, wonderful news that we celebrate. Absolutely. And so looking forward to having our pastoral team in place and seeing and seeking God's direction as we move forward. Um, in kind of some unique timing, uh, you also probably, you did receive an email, um, if you remember, uh, that Zach Backstrom, who is the worship pastor, is feeling called away from Watershed, which is, which is sad uh, because he is beloved there and him and Aaron love working together. Uh, but Zach has accepted a call out in Washington State, And if you know Zach, his heart is in the mountains, and him and Angela are looking forward to that. There, his last Sunday will be June 6th, which will also be Aaron's installation. And so it's going to be a time of worship and celebrating. Um, and then that's also the day that we're going to celebrate my recent installation because we're just going to have pigs in a blanket and all this. You know, it's going to be an awesome time of celebrating. Um, and so pray, or pray for Watershed as they move through that. It is, um, it is a change that is, is hard, but it's, it's good because God is calling Zach and Angela to a new season of ministry. And so we trust that God's gonna bless that and gonna continue to bless us here at Watershed as well. And then the final announcement is uh, just, we've continued to lean into and follow the guidance of the CDC and MDH, MDHHS, Michigan Department of Health and Human Service guidance on protocols for, and of course, we all know this has been a, a difficult thing, uh, but we continue to lean into that. And so we continue, th which their guidance continues to require masks uh, with a new exception for those who are fully vaccinated. And so that's great. And we continue to move in that direction. Uh, we simply ask if you're going to sing, continue to wear a mask for now. Um, but in all of this, it's going to be a little unique because some will be wearing masks, some won't be wearing masks. And here's, here's my ask, is that we respect one another we love one another, we believe the best in one another, and we show a world that is divided what the church of Jesus Christ looks like, which is a church united over something far more important than any kind of little protocols, temporary thing that we're going through. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. So let's love one another, move forward, and in that, let's enter a time of prayer. Will you join me? Lord, we lean into your word this morning. The psalmist writes these words in Psalm 18, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I am saved from my enemies. Lord, we thank you for your word, which, which gives us images that, that help us wrap our minds around who you are 
And Lord, this image that you are our rock, that you are our fortress, that you are our stronghold, you are our firm foundation elsewhere in scripture, Lord. We thank you for this truth of who you are, that Lord God, you are our constant. And Lord, to have a constant, a rock who is firm and strong, Lord, is so important. But Lord, especially when we look around at the world and the world often feels so shaky and unstable and chaotic. But Lord, we have a rock in you and we thank you for your steady and your constant nature, Lord, in a world that is ever-changing from day to day. And, and Lord, you know our hearts and change is hard, but Lord, in all of that change, Lord, you remain the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And, and we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that you are a, a place that is, is like an anchor like a lighthouse in stormy seas. And Lord, may we as your church, here at Fusion specifically, Lord, but at Hardawake more broadly, Lord, continue to find our strength and our unity. And Lord, our, the power that we need, the, the encouragement that we need to move forward together, may we find that firmly founded in you. We pray, Lord, for watershed right now as, as they navigate continued transition. Lord, may you continue to bind them together by your spirit. Lord, we pray for an abundance of, of trust among our congregations. Lord, as we lean into you and lean into one another, thank you, God, for the three worshiping bodies on this campus with celebration and watershed and here at Fusion. We thank you, God, for that gift. We thank you for Mission, Lord, on this Pentecost Sunday that meets in, in the sanctuary this afternoon. And Pastor Florencio, Lord, we pray that you would continue to work in and through the ministries of this church to bring your kingdom reality. Lord, on Pentecost Sunday, your spirit came into this earth, filled your disciples, and Lord, you continue as we learned weeks ago, Lord, your spirit and your presence dwells in and among and through your people. Lord, may we be be a community that declares in our lives, but in also, Lord, our speech, the wonders of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, in that, we also pray for those who, who need you in a special way this morning. Lord, for those who, who we know and love who are, who are struggling right now with a variety of different things. Lord, we pray for those that they might lean into you, their rock, and experience healing for those, Lord, who are facing injury or illness or, Lord, mental illness struggles, Lord, that they would find healing. Lord, we pray for those that would experience comfort for those that we know and love who are, who are facing pain because of loss, Lord, grief which feels like an overpowering shadow at times, but God, you bring light. And we pray, God, that you would surround those who are experiencing loss right now. We pray too, Lord, for those who are far from you and find themselves just feeling distant. Even, Lord, if they believe, Lord, but they just feel like you are far away, Lord, may they experience and may, Lord, you restore the joy of their salvation knowing that you are a God who is good and who is present, who is moving toward us as your people. And Lord, we pray that for our world and our nation and Lord, on this Pentecost Sunday, when, when churches around this country and around the world are remembering the coming of your spirit and the birth of your church, Lord, may we be inspired, motivated by love to be your witnesses right where we live, in the regions surrounding, and Lord, to the ends of the earth, so that your name is praised and glorified, and that the name of Jesus would be known and confessed on the lips of those all around this beautiful earth that you've created. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And God's people say, amen. Amen, amen. And Fusion Community, again, it's good to be together. It uh, feels like summer has arrived. What happened to spring, right? I think spring is coming back in a little bit as well. 
Again, Pastor JB would love an opportunity to meet with you at some point in the near future. This week we step into Acts 8. Really quickly, I want to just give some background uh, on Acts 8 because there's a major shift happening in the book of Acts right here in Acts 8. And it's actually pretty fitting that it's Pentecost Sunday. Um, if you remember last week, we remembered Stephen, right, who was martyr for his faith in Jesus Christ. He was killed and a persecution breaks out. Saul is leading this persecution. He's trying to stomp out the church, uh, but in trying to stomp out the church in Jerusalem, he actually scatters the church. The image I think of is someone trying to like stomp out a campfire and it shoots embers, burning embers, and it just creates the spread of the gospel that Jesus foretold in Acts 1-8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Acts 8 marks when the church is going out into Judea and Samaria. And what we actually have in verses like, right around verse 15, this kind of unique thing where the Spirit comes in a powerful and unique way, it's really an echo of Pentecost here in Acts 8. Pentecost marking the birth of the church. There's this significant move of the Spirit to mark the moving of the church into Samaria and Judea. And then there's another similar echo in Acts 10 and 11 when the church extends to the ends of the earth. So just watch for these kind of big movements of the early church movement. Here in, in Acts 8, we are introduced to Philip. And as the gospel goes out into Samaria, those who are scattered, we're told, begin preaching the gospel and people come to faith in Samaria. That's significant. We'll talk about that. We're introduced to Philip, who in a certain city is preaching the gospel, doing signs and wonders. He preaches the gospel to someone named Simon the sorcerer, who believes and is baptized, but totally misses the boat on what this means. And then we're introduced to Philip as he encounters a man from Ethiopia, and that's where we're going to kind of find our place this morning, looking at Philip and his encounter with an Ethiopian man on this desert road south of Jerusalem. Here's the question that we want to ask during our time. Because we have all these instances of the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed and all kinds of different responses. And so the question we want to learn from all of these varied accounts is what can we learn today uh, from these varied accounts of sharing the gospel, which really is this word, Evangelism. We're going to talk about that word. But as we, as before we do any of that, we need to jump into God's word. And so if you're willing and able, I invite you to stand as we hear God speak to us. Acts chapter 8, we'll be reading verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. It's like Isaiah 53. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. 
Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We pray with me. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your spirit continues to speak into our hearts through your word. And we pray and we invite, Spirit, that you would open our hearts to you, that we might receive a word, a word of encouragement or a word of challenge, but a word from you. And in hearing your word, Lord, that we might be challenged and transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Amen. I say the word evangelism or evangelist. What comes to mind? What do you experience internally? Do you experience warm fuzzies? Maybe some thoughts of, of one of the great evangelists of our day? Or maybe you hear that word and you experience something else entirely. Evangelism. And, and the heart kind of skips a beat and it's fear or anxiety or, or maybe even dread or some negative experience. We're going to talk about evangelism. Before we do, I want to share a quick story. Maybe not a quick story. A friend, someone I know named Christy. It was fall of 2019. Christy was at work and suddenly, some coworkers approached her, and there was desperation in their voices. Christy, they said, we need your help. There's a young woman that we know. She's got two young kids, and she just found out that she was preg she's pregnant again. And the father of this child said he didn't want anything to do with that. And he's, he walked out on her. And Christy, this young woman, is, is lost, feeling helpless and hopeless. She, she doesn't have a job. She has nowhere to turn. And now she's considering terminating the pregnancy. She's considering abortion. Christy, will you meet with her? You can imagine Christy doesn't quite know what to say. Uh, she's feeling completely in over her head, and she asks her these coworkers, "Well, can I can I have the weekend to just pray about this and discern whether I can answer this call?" And the coworkers say, "Well, we told her that you could meet with her on Saturday, which is tomorrow." Christy agrees to meet, and Saturday comes around. And she shows up at Russ's restaurant, good West Michigan staple, finds herself sitting across from a booth from this young woman, her two beautiful children bouncing around in the booth, and this young woman tells Christy her story. Just over eight years ago, she, she married a man against her parents' wishes. He was not a Christian, but she married him anyway. She was in love. And after they got married, they moved away from home. Home for Christy was Oregon, across the country. And her and her new husband moved to West Michigan. There they had two kids, these two beautiful kids sitting in the booth. And yet it was just about a year ago, she comes home with the kids and she finds a note on the kitchen table. Unimaginable. The note just simply says, I'm done with you and I'm done with the brats. She was devastated, absolutely devastated. And in her devastation, she met another man that she quickly began dating and in that relationship became pregnant. And now he's abandoned her as well. And here she is sitting across the table from Christy with tears in her eyes saying, you don't understand, no one loves me. My parents don't love me can't find a man who loves me 
you know what, and God, God doesn't even love me. No one can love me. You know, my guess is not many of us thought of a scenario like that when we hear the word evangelism. Instead, we think of evangelism in, in our fond memories, we think of someone like Billy Graham who spoke to thousands upon thousands and shared the good news of Jesus Christ and introduced many, many, many people to Jesus Christ. On the other side of that, maybe, maybe we have kind of this neg negative car caricature of evangelism, that these less flattering examples and strategies that feel intrusive and manipulative, manipulative using formulas and intellectual arguments to achieve certain responses but most of us don't think of Christy sitting in a Russ's restaurant across from a young woman. This morning what I wanna suggest is that evangelism is actually a much bigger and broader category than I think we typically think of. And actually I think Acts 8 helps broaden our view of evangelism. Evangelism actually comes from the Greek word almost directly, right? You can hear it, euangelion, you can see it even in the Greek, right? Euangelion, which simply means good news. In ancient Greek, good news in the broader culture could have been any kind of good news. In fact, Caesar, when he would enter a new territory, they would declare the good news of Caesar. In the New Testament, euangelion, the good news specifically and always references the good news of Jesus Christ, his life, death, resurrection, ascension, and return. This is where we get the word gospel. It's kind of the old English word for Evangelion. Now what's interesting, just going to nerd out a little bit, what's interesting here is that Luke uses the verb form of euangelion more than he uses the noun form. And the, the verb form of euangelion is euangelizo. You want, you want to say that with me? Euangelizo? It's all Greek to us. We all know Greek now, right? All right, so we, we're learning a little euangelizo, which would, would be translated gospelizing. Right, or what it's often translated as preaching or proclaiming the gospel or proclaiming the good news. It's this word evangelism, really. Proclaiming the act of preaching the good news. Now what's interesting is Luke uses this word more than any other New Testament writer, the verb form. Of the a little over 50 times this word is used in the whole New Testament, Luke uses it 25 times. Now I say those numbers for a reason. Uh, I think it's 10 in Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and 15 in Acts. And out of those 15 times this word is used in the, God, the book of Acts, he uses this word five times in chapter 8 alone. And all that is to say is I think Luke is trying to tell us something in this chapter about sharing and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have those listed on the screen. I won't run through those, but you can take a picture of that. But those are the five places that this word is used. And what you'll notice is it's used in a variety of different settings by a variety of different people with a variety of different responses, which for us, what we want to do is that God's word has something to teach us this morning about preaching the good news of Jesus' evangelism. And here's the hope. We want to walk through our passage that we just read and glean some basics about what, what does it look like to share the gospel. And we're going to do it by asking some basic questions. Where, who, how, and when. And then we're going to finish up with the end of Christie's story. Sound good? So let's jump right in. Where? Here's the first question, where, where do we share the gospel? What is the best place to share the gospel? Is it here at church? Is it in the pastor's office? Is it at summer camp with young kids? Is it in the home around a kitchen table? Is it at a Russ's restaurant in one of those comfy booths? Is it on the street? Is, what's the ideal location for sharing the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection? Well, spoiler alerts on the screen. The answer is wherever. Right, all of the above. These are all wonderful places to share the gospel. Acts chapter 8 tells us that wherever we are is an ideal location to share the gospel, even if it's on the side of a desert road on the way to enemy territory. 
because that's where Philip meets this Ethiopian man, right? A little context, and we got a little map on the screen. For Philip, he has an angel instruct him where to go. Now, that would be nice, right? If an angel told us where to go. I mean, it might be a little terrifying, but it would be nice. At least you'd have direction. But notice what the angel, the angel does not give him as a specific location. He doesn't say, go to this city, go to this location. He says, no, just go to the road, okay, the desert road. The one that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. There's kind of a rough drawing of the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. Notice where Philip is, Samaria. That's about 50 miles north of Jerusalem. So go to this road that's 50 miles away, and it's about a 50-mile long road. Just start walking the road. That's not very specific instructions. And, by the way, Gaza is kind of the land of the Philistines, right? So this is enemy territory. But nonetheless, Philip goes on the road, starts walking on this Gaza road, and he comes across a man reading a scroll in a chariot. And the spirit says, go to the chariot. So what does he do? He goes to the chariot. Now, think about this real quickly from Philip's perspective. He's coming from Samaria, and this would have been strange because in Samaria at this time, we're told that there is like a revival happening. Like there are conversions happening in Samaria and, and all, this is where all the excitement, the action is. And now the angel is saying, hey, leave that and go to this obscure road in the middle of the desert. Do you see how strange that would be? But Philip goes. This place that the angel is calling to him to is obscure and has little to no significance. And it reminds us this today, that whether we're at church, whether we're at camp, whether we're outdoors, indoors, in our neighborhood, at a block party, or in our backyard, hanging out with neighbors, whether we're in the office, wherever it is, or in a Russ's restaurants, every place is a location where we can share the good news of Jesus Christ because place is no longer a boundary line. Remember Pentecost? We were reminded that God's presence, which came like a fire, no longer is confined to the temple in Jerusalem, but the Spirit of God, God's presence, lives like a fire inside each of one of us who call ourselves Jesus' followers and disciples. And so wherever we are, God goes with us. So wherever we are is an opportunity to share the gospel. Wherever. Next question. Who? Who is to share the gospel? And the second part of that question is, for whom is the gospel for, right? Let's begin with that first question. Well, just like it was wherever, whoever. Who is to share the gospel? Whoever. Our passage suggests that there are no boundaries or limits set on who is to share the gospel, or for that matter, who the gospel is intended. But begin with who is to share the gospel. Do you remember Philip? We were first introduced to Philip in chapter 6. What was, does anyone know, remember what Philip's role was last week? Deacon, right? He's a deacon. So he had a specific role in the church, which was to care for the widows who were being neglected in Jerusalem. His role was deacon. And what do we find him doing in chapter 8? Preaching the gospel. Fulfilling a different role than that specifically outlined for the deacons. Not only that, but at the beginning of chapter 8, we're told that those who were, when the, when, the, when the persecution started, all those besides the apostles were scattered out into Jerusalem or into Judea and Samaria. And, and Luke tells us that all of those who are scattered are sharing the good news, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. We're all called to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And for whom? Who is the for whom is the gospel intended? The Ethiopian man gives us yet more evidence that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all. For everyone. For everyone. Even for this man who is a foreign outcast who's never been fully embraced. We got to jump into the context real quickly. Uh, a couple of things to note about this man who's sitting in the chariot. First, he was a foreign convert to Judaism. So he, he is one who believes and practices the Jewish faith, but he is not an ethnic Hebrew. 
He's traveled a long way. I mean, think about this. He's traveled a long way to worship at the temple, but when he got there, there were several things that prevented him from full participation at the temple for worship. This is first century context. The first was his ethnicity. He was not Jewish. He was Ethiopian, right? He's, he's from Africa. So he would have been restricted because he's not Jewish to the outer court of the Gentiles. If you're not Jewish, which is all of us, we would not be allowed into the inner courts. We would be in the Gentile court. But even if he was Jewish, he was a eunuch. I'm assuming we know what that is, right? He was a eunuch. And so even if he was a Jew, the law in Leviticus 21, verse 18 and following would have restricted his access to the temple as well. He would not be allowed into those inner courts. And then finally, the third thing is he was unable to produce offspring. And in the first century context in the ancient world, this would have, he would have been viewed as someone with little to contribute. He was an outsider. He was an outcast, and he was one who offered little to his community. And yet, Philip goes to him by the Spirit's direction because the gospel is for all. And what a powerful reminder for us once again that the good news of Jesus Christ is good news for all people. Can I get an amen to that? We are called to share the good news to all people, whomever the Lord our God would call, no matter their background or social standing, whether they have anything to offer our community or our church, their religious standing, right? All people are valuable in God's sight, and all people have potential of a redemption story. Even a young woman sitting across from you at a Russ's restaurant, there is a potential redemption story at play. And we just have to note, too, the fact that the gospel is going out to Samaria. We, don't, we, don't, we can't grasp this, but the Samaritans were sworn enemies of the Jewish people. And so for us, it is a reminder that the Holy Spirit compels us as his people to step across boundaries set up by society. Whether they're proverbial ideological aisle or boundaries, whether it's stepping across the other side of the tracks, whatever it is, whether it's cultural barriers and boundaries, no, the love of Jesus Christ knows no bounds. We are called to share the gospel with whomever the Lord our God will call, whomever. Third question, how? How? How are we to share the gospel? How do people come to know Jesus? Now, you were noticing a pattern, right? Wherever, whomever, whoever. We're going to break the pattern. We're going to break the pattern. It's not just loosey-goosey any way at all. How do people come to know the gospel? I mean, the, everyone's story is unique. Everyone's, right, the journey, the specifics are unique and different. But there's some basic features that are part of every conversion story, which is the Holy Spirit, God's Word, and not every, but oftentimes a disciple of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit brings conversion through God's word, most often explained and testified by a Christ follower. There's your one, lot, your one sentence shot at it, right? Let's just talk briefly about each of those. The Holy Spirit. Conversion, a change of heart, is always, always the work of the Holy Spirit. You and I cannot change a person's heart no matter how convincing or how much evidence we produce. And so if evangelism is about a strategy or an intellectual argument, we're missing a really key feature, which is the work of the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can do this work in a person's life. And because of this truth, we need to be attentive and in tune with the Spirit so that when the Spirit gives us that nudge, like he did to Philip, right, go, we jump in with two feet. And this is the dynamic that's at play throughout the book of Acts, right? The Spirit is leading and guiding everything that happens in the early church. Paul, go this way. Whoa, Paul, don't go that way. We're going to read these interactions. This is the driving force behind the church, not only in the first century, but continuing today. The Holy Spirit is the first thing. The second element is God's Word, right? Notice for the Ethiopian man, he's sitting in his chariot reading Scripture. He's reading a scroll, which is pretty impressive to have a scroll. He's reading Isaiah 53. Uh, and, and, and what we see is this is a prophecy. Probably, actually, this is probably like the best. I mean, if he were to be reading 
a scroll that's going to point him to Jesus, Isaiah 53 would be the scroll, right? You couldn't have asked for a better scroll. But what we believe is that all scripture, we believe, is a unified story that leads to Jesus, right? So, so scripture is a pathway that the Spirit uses to direct people to the good news of God's salvation through Jesus Christ. We see this in Luke 24, verse 27, when Jesus encounters some disciples on the way to Emmaus, and this is what we read, at the in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's the Hebrew scriptures, our Old Testament, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself is a unified story that leads to Jesus. So on Sunday mornings when we preach Old Testament, New Testament, we point it to Jesus, the gospel, right? God's word bringing transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Now, often, sometimes we hear testimonies of the Spirit working in a miraculous way through God's Word, right? Uh, a, a story of, of someone who's reached the end of their rope. They find themselves desperate and alone in a hotel room, and they open that side drawer, and there's a Gideon's Bible, right? And they pull out that Bible just in desperation and start reading the gospel, one of the Gospels. And in that moment, the Spirit creates this conversion experience, right? We read those. But most often, most often, God uses another Christ follower to walk that person through and explain. And that's what we encounter here in Acts chapter 8. Notice, reading God's word did not automatically lead this man to faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 30 through 31. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asks. And, he, and the Ethiopian man says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? Right? Most often evangelism takes place in the context of relationship. That's so important. A disciple of Jesus Christ engaged in a conversation with someone whose heart has been prepared by the Holy Spirit. Certainly, friends, yeah, it would be much easier, less intimidating to just buy a bunch of Bibles and just throw them out there or Bible tracts, and there's some, there's some value in that. I'm not diminishing that. But most often, it is a long journey of walking beside someone who is a friend, and the Spirit does this work in their heart. And it is a journey. It's not just a moment. Most often it's a long journey and there's steps along the way that I would suggest are all part of evangelism. Preparing the heart soil, right? Planting seeds of faith, the watering of that. And then finally this harvest, that's some of the language of the scriptures. But what I've come to realize is that often there's a point where, where someone asks a question. In that journey, someone asks a question, are you ready? Are you ready to, to go all in, to commit your life to Jesus? And uh, I, I, remember, I remember one of the first times asking that question, and, uh, and the person I was talking to said yes. And I'm like, and I'm like thrown back, I'm like kind of taken aback. Like, are you, do you want to, I mean, no pressure, you know, I'm not trying to pray, but uh, if you want to commit your life to Jesus, there's nothing stopping you from doing that right now. Uh, and he's like, I want to do that. I'm like, oh, really? Oh, uh, okay, uh, you know, kind of, let, let's talk about the gospel. Let's talk about what that means, right? Um, I, um, but all, each of these steps are so important along the way. How? The final question is when? When's the right time to share the gospel? Our pattern returns whenever, right? Whenever is the right time. There's no right time, but rather whenever the Spirit leads us to share, whenever. Even if it's right now, even if it's on your way, don't miss an opportunity to share the gospel. Notice, after the Ethiopian man hears uh, uh, and understands the gospel, he doesn't want to wait another second to make a decision to give his life to Jesus. Obviously, in Philip's telling of the gospel, he shares that baptism is part of this, believe in baptism, right? That's the rhythm. And so this man is like, there's some water. What's to stop me right now? And Philip's like, nothing. So he stops the chariot and they jump in the water and Philip baptizes this man like right in that moment. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. And then after that, some, uh, the spirit just takes Philip away, right? And then he heads up the coast to Caesarea, beautiful city on the Mediterranean coast. And on his way, on his way, 
wherever, whenever he goes, right? He's just sharing the gospel in these towns along the way. And so we have right now and always and even along the way, never miss an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ because, friends, this is the best news any of us has ever received. And it's news that has changed our life forever. And you don't know when a certain encounter might be someone's best opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Whenever, whomever, wherever. The question is, we just need to be ready to say yes when the Spirit comes. See, we need to get away from this kind of small views of evangelism. We need to get away with, with glamorizing on one end, like evangelism and evangelists, and we think of the great evangelists in history, because when we do that, we're like, well, I can't do that. And we also got to get away from reducing evangelism to some negative caricature where evangelism becomes simply a program, a strategy, or a script that we follow that reduces people to projects. Because when we reduce people to projects, we eliminate love, which is a necessary ingredient for evangelism and relationship, right? Evangelism is about being the good news to people every day so that when the time comes to share the good news of Jesus Christ, they might just listen to what we have to say. Luke reminds us there's no singular story of evangelism and conversion, whether it's Samaritans seeing signs and wonders, Simon the sorcerer who hears, believes, but misses the point, and then there's a conversation there, or this man in, on a desert road, the stories of thousands upon thousands who believed and were baptized along the way who started Jesus' communities in Judea and Samaria. They're all different stories, but the same Holy Spirit who changed a heart through an encounter with Jesus through God's word and a disciple who was willing to share that word. Philip reminds us that it just requires us to be ready to say yes to God. And isn't that how Christy ended up sitting in a booth at Russ's across from a woman in a desperate situation because she was willing to say yes. Sitting across from a woman who's saying, no one loves me. How can anyone love me? Not my parents, not even God. You can imagine Christy in that moment not sure what to do, but she leaned into the spirit and she asked a question. I said, how do you know no one loves you? This woman sh shared some of her Christian background. She directed her to Jesus on the cross, but she pointed to the most obvious example. She said, what about your kids? They adore you. Your kids love you. I can see that right now. And then she began to inquire about this woman's parents. How do, you, how do you know your parents don't love you? She finds out from this woman that she hadn't talked to her parents in eight years. After the wedding, after they, they left Oregon, she just assumed her parents had disowned her. And she hadn't talked to her parents in eight years. Some more conversation takes place. Chrissy feels led to say, I think you should call your I think you should call your parents. More back and forth. This girl says, a woman says, Can you call them? Can you call them while I sit here? She dials her mom's phone number on her cell and she hands the phone to Christy. Christy starts praying, oh my, please pick up. The mom picks up after just a couple rings. What she hears is this mother desperately calling out her daughter's name. Pretty soon, Christy hears in the background this woman's father calling out her daughter's name. Is this you? Christy calmly explains who she is and what's going on, looks at the young woman and says, will you talk to your mom? 
she's unsure at first, but agrees. Christy hands her the phone and steps away, pays the bill for breakfast, goes to her car and grabs the Bible that she had brought, comes back about 30 minutes later. As this young woman's getting off the phone, she sits back down in the booth. Something's changed. She looks at Christy and she says, those are my parents. They love me. They're going to come out to Michigan for Thanksgiving. And I think we might go back to Oregon with them. Something changed in that moment. Christy hands her the Bible, encourages her to read the Gospel of John or the Gospel of Luke, and they depart ways. But the story's not over. Christy gets an email update in Thanksgiving, right after Thanksgiving. This young woman is in Oregon, staying at her parents' house. She's been going to church with her parents. She's been reading the Gospel of John, and she's beginning asking questions of the pastor. And she also shares with Christy that she's going to keep the baby. And just that week, she felt the baby move for the first time. She says, thank you. Fast forward to March, Christy gets another email. The young woman started a job a month ago. Around that same time, she was baptized in her parents' church, and the baby is just about due. And she writes in the email, you won't believe it, I'm having twins. I'm not making this up. <laughs> when Christy told me the story, I thought, are you kidding me? I'm having a boy and a girl. And she writes in the email, how do you spell your name? Because I want to name my daughter Christy. And her middle name is going to be Angel because I know that God sent a messenger on that fall Saturday morning with good news. And friends, that is good news. That is really, really good news. And that good news was made possible because there was a Jesus follower who lived out that good news at work to a point where coworkers recognized something in her. And then that disciple of Jesus Christ, when called upon, said, yes. With fear, with trembling, but she said, yes question for us, and not every story is going to be that magnificent and glorious, but are we ready to say yes? Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your spirit that continues to be at work even today. And Lord, your spirit is at work doing, doing miraculous things. Lord, transformation is a miraculous thing. And Lord, not every, not every story is, is dramatic like that, or, but Lord, every story of transformation and a disciple of Jesus Christ saying yes to a move of your spirit is a miracle worthy of being celebrated. And so, Lord God, we pray that we would be in tune to your spirit. And so that, God, when you say go, we would say yes. And in saying yes, Lord, we would trust that your spirit goes with us. Your presence goes with us and that you will do something greater than we could ever dream or imagine. Give us that strength. Give us that hope. May we lean into your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand in worship.
What a, what a posture of looking to God who is Lord, who leads us. Um, just a quick reminder that there's some granola bars and goodies outside, um, and uh, we'll be gathering for some fellowship. What I want to just read as we close from the book of Romans, chapter 10. Paul writes, starting verse 13, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. My prayer, my hope, is that for us, Fusion, we'd have some real beautiful feet. Amen. <laughs> As you go from here, though, receive God's blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, may the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen. Jesus Christ has overcome.
Surely. 